You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning. As you are watching this, I am actually down in Houston, and Katie and I down there with the youth for a trip to Impact, the inner city church down there, and putting on kind of a spring break VBS for the kids there, and looking forward to it. Uh, keep us in your prayers for both safety and even more so for just for God's kingdom to be proclaimed, to be encouraged, to be built up, both down there and the people that live in Houston, and of course, and us too, and with the youth that were taken down there. I wanted to recount a couple of people, stories for you this morning. First one is a guy named Jonathan. I met Jonathan a couple of years ago when I was a minister in Oklahoma. I was on the ministerial fellowship, ministerial alliance, working with you know the other ministers of other churches and it wasn't a greatly well-attended group, and so pretty much if you showed up, you got a job, and I was okay with that. So I became the treasurer, <laughs> and as the treasurer, I had a fund at my disposal, just a couple hundred bucks, kind of added to over the year, and then taken away and depleted over the year. We kind of had a big Thanksgiving kind of uh, whole community event where we would take a collection and put that toward this fund. Anyway, uh, the fund was for people traveling through, And so if there was somebody in another church that got in contact or somebody stopped by and asked for assistance, if they were especially heading through town or out of town trying to get somewhere, we bought bus tickets, that kind of thing, I would often get the phone call. And so another minister from across town called me up one night and said, hey, I got this guy here. He's riding his bike through McAllister and he needs a place to stay. He stopped and said, if we could help you, I'm calling you, maybe put up in a hotel or something. Okay, I wasn't doing anything that particular evening at that particular moment. So I drove over to this other church where Jonathan was, and he had his bicycle there, decorated kind of strangely, uh, the big flag on the back for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And he was so excited. You know, I get a lot of requests for help, and often I would get somebody with big plans and those big opportunities out in whatever state, Wyoming, New York, California, wherever, if I could just get there. And often, maybe six months later, a year later, maybe less, uh, I'd see him again. Well, that didn't work out. Can you help me again? <laughs> it was the nature of it. And I tried to be responsible with it, but at the same time, not be stingy, because that's what those funds are for, to try to help people. Uh, get where they needed to go for maybe better opportunities. But uh, I saw a lot of homeless people and put them up sometimes in a hotel that you know, allowed them to stay there or you know, help them out with some other supplies, some gas, what have you. But Jonathan wasn't the homeless. He told me about his house uh, quite a ways away, but he was doing a thousand mile bike ride for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Uh, But the more I talked about it, the more I realized that the Make-A-Wish Foundation people had no idea that he was doing this. He was not connected with them in any way. He just decided out of, you know, in his heart, he wanted to do this thing. And uh, he uh, was a religious person, and we talked a lot about God and the Bible and where he went to church and other churches he'd been around before. And he had had some interaction with churches of Christ, not a lot, but some. And we talked about that and 
He would say, man, I just want to sleep on the floor somewhere in the church because I'm on this thousand mile back ride. And as soon as I'm get, get going, as soon as I get where I'm going, you know, people will just be encouraged and uh, inspired, you know, to donate, to make a wish foundation in honor of his uh, grandmother who had raised him and she had passed away. But I guess it was maybe one of her favorite charities for so long. And uh, he was doing the kind of memory of her, but also he just wanted to inspire people and put hope in their lives. And I thought, well, that's kind of good. Uh, so how, did you like get pledges and stuff before you left for people you know, to sponsor you in this background? No, no, no. I, after I get there, I worry about that. I'm like, not how a lot of fundraising works. Just to get on your bike and ride and hope that people give you money along the way or a place to stay. But I'm like, hey, <laughs> uh, I thought to myself, well, first, as he was starting his spiel, I was rehearsing my spiel in return, basically. Well, I can help you a lot, but I can help you with, you know, a limited amount for some people it was gas, some people it was hotel, other people it was a bus ticket, whatever. None of these really fit him too much. I could have offered him a hotel, but as it turns out, I just put him up. Uh, and he um, got off the next morning. I made sure, you know, drive him to the edge of town so he continue on his bike ride and I have to drive through the busy kind of highway part cutting through town because he'd had a few accidents a few cars had kind of <laughs> gotten too close and he'd crashed a few times and I'm like oh, man power to you I guess but I know and I tried to at first encourage him well maybe you should think of a better business model for this thing you're trying to do that you know there's other people have raised funds before maybe you could follow some of their hints rather than just take off and throw it to the wind and see what happens but in the end I remembered the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 one that I want to cover this morning one that as we study through the gospel of Mark and now toward the end this idea of rejected there was a woman that the disciples tried to reject because she wasn't doing things the proper way and Jesus said leave her alone and as I was interacting with Jonathan, thinking about all the ways in which he needed to do stuff different, because he wasn't all there, he had a few, a few screws loose, you know, what have you. Nice guy, but uh, needed some maybe more direction, at least in my perspective, but that's the problem. It's my perspective. And as I interacted more and just saw his unquenchable optimism and desire to do good. And he wasn't like a young kid. He was in his 40s. He was actually a little bit older than me. And he was passionate. And I asked him other things he had done. He'd done these big long walks and stuff as well and just to inspire hope and like not for money or to raise money. No, no, just to inspire hope. And I wasn't sure how, how that worked. But his spirit would not be quenched. And he wanted to do something good for the people and for God. And I thought to myself in this story in Mark chapter 14, who am I to criticize him? Specifically, I heard the words of Jesus. Mark 14, it's a woman, and he says, leave her alone. And as I was talking with Jonathan, it kind of whispered in the back of my mind, leave him alone. He doesn't answer to you. He doesn't have to do it your way. Let him do what he's doing for me, for God. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. 
Two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the chief priests and the experts in the law were trying to find a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during a feast, so there won't be a riot among the people. They want to kill Jesus, but they're afraid of how the people might respond because he's got a pretty popular following. Now, the religious leaders can't stand him. Obviously, they're trying to kill him. But most of the people, many of the people, especially those hungering and thirsting for righteousness and hoping you know, for something better in Israel than the status quo of politics and corruption that they saw. You know, they would riot if they tried to do something against Jesus at the wrong time. So they're waiting for the right time, wanting to kill. And as they're doing that, again, these hard-hearted religious leaders are rejecting Jesus there's a woman who wants to serve Jesus. Now, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of costly aromatic oil from pure nard. After breaking open the jar, she poured it on his head. But some who were present indignantly said to one another, why this waste of expensive ointment? It could have been sold for more than 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor. So they spoke angrily to her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. I love that line because I think I need to be told it, especially because I have all the right ways of doing things. Oh, call me. Leave them alone. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good service for me. For you will always have the poor with you and you can do good for them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Another great line. She maybe couldn't do what you guys have done. She maybe can't do what you guys will do, but she did what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She's done something good. She's given me a good gift. And it might seem wasteful to you, but guess what? You're not the one doing it. I mean, here she is. She brought this jar of perfume, 300 silver coins, this translation says. Uh, the translation might say a year's wages. You know, that a, a day labor, going to work every day, saving all year long, could have bought this jar of perfume. And it was probably a family heirloom passed down to her, maybe from her mother. Uh, women couldn't own a lot. They often couldn't own property or things like that. And so mothers would pass to their daughters these things that would kind of be insurance for them in some ways, uh, be their, uh, their savings account. Because they couldn't really have accounts at a bank either most of the time. And so they had these things worth money that they could sell, let's say, if they got married and their husband died before she had any kids to maybe, you know, help raise, you know, be a widow who had nothing or a husband that wrongfully put her away, that divorced her. And of course, Jesus has talked about that. But this jar of perfume would have been something precious to her. 
and something that, you know, she could have fallen back on in hard times and sold it. She sees Jesus. And she doesn't have a lot, but she's got that jar of perfume. Expensive aromatic oil that probably kings and queens and palaces would have used, you know, for their ceremonies and their parties and such. Not common people down, you know, just hanging out in the house in the town of Bethany. But she has this jar. She takes it, and this kind of jar uh, kind of, in some ways, almost guarantee its purity or whatever. There's only one way to open it, kind of like a traditional piggy bank. If you want it, you got to break it open. Didn't have a nice little stopper, you know, cork put in the end. It had a, it's an alabaster jar, and so to break it open, you'd break the neck off of the bottle. And then it was exposed to air, and then you had a short amount of time to use it. And she used it all on Jesus. She wanted to give Jesus something, and it's what she had. And she know, I don't think she knew that she was anointing his body for burial, but that's what it turned out to be. This beautiful moment just before Judas betrays him and he goes, you know, he's arrested and crucified. This woman did one of the last kind acts to Jesus. Now, Jesus, you know, later, as he has the Last Supper with his disciples, told in the Gospel of John, you know, he washes their feet. But this is one of the last opportunities someone came in and did something for him. And not that Jesus needed something done for him, but he appreciated it. He knew that she was giving him something that mattered to her and doing what she could. And so he told her detractors, many of whom were his own disciples, were told again in the book of John that Judas was one of the loudest voices condemning her, saying, why would you be so wasteful? Because he had his own ulterior motives. But she just gave Jesus what she had, and Jesus, again, told those being angry with her and speaking angrily to her and condemning her and trying to set her in her place because she must be so foolish to think you know, she should do something like this. And Jesus says, leave her alone. It was hers to give, not yours. You worry about yourself. I tell that to my kids all the time. Because they'll sometimes come tattling or complaining about one of their siblings. Ah, oh, he used this, he did this, he, you know, misused this, he didn't do this right. And I have to remind them, mind your own business. I can take care of them. I'm the father, you're not. You worry about you. I've used that line multiple times, just like my parents used on me. You worry about you. And here Jesus is telling his disciples this. Those he's eating with in this house. You worry about you. She's actually done something good. Even if you can't see it, doesn't matter. You don't have to see it. She did it for me and I see it. You leave her alone. I wanted to share with you one more recent event. Actually, today. Uh, today's Thursday. I'm up at the church here Thursday afternoon recording this sermon probably hear the cars going by out on the street. But today I spend most of my day at home. 
because the plumber was there. We have actually had a water leak at our house for the last three weeks. Uh, it didn't happen with the cold snap, but just a few days later, so it's kind of odd. Uh, turns out the plumber came and he spent a long time trying to find where this leak was. Uh, it was partially in the foundation and old copper pipes and it was a bit of a pain and uh, I had to turn off the water for him and our water meter's kind of a long ways from our house and so I was out there turning it off and on and walking back and forth for him so that he didn't have to and he was working and he asked me when to turn it on, turn it off. So I spent my day doing that and talking to him as he troubleshooting, told me what he thought and, and I got the impression his name is Joe. I got the impression that maybe he didn't quite know everything he thought he knew. <laughs> I can be judgmental. Uh, you can ask my wife about my judgmental tendencies. She does a pretty good job of bringing them up to me when I need her to. She, she's a good woman and she'll tell me, <laughs> don't think like that, Colby. Uh, preachers aren't supposed to judge. Uh, no. But some, I was, you know, watching Joe, and he, he was there for quite a few hours at my house today, and I was getting a little bit worried that maybe things were getting worse and not better. Because uh, you know, he attacked, attacked it from several different angles, and you know, and I prayed because you know, didn't know what else to do. <laughs> not that my water and most important thing in the world, but we got a household of eight people. We need our water. And I didn't want to break the bank. And I just asked God blessing on our house and on what Job was doing, because I had my doubts. <laughs> uh, I'm not a plumber, but I know a few things, and a few things he was doing just kind of looked a little bit off to me. But I tried to turn it over to God for the same. And then uh, later on, as he was at to turn the water back on and off, and I saw more of what he was doing. I'm like, call me, give it to God, give it to God. You gave it to God, don't try to take it back. Just, you know, you're not a plumber. Let him do his job. And I tried to remind myself of that, because again, I have my doubts. But five hours later, water was back on. There were no leaks. Things were good. And, uh, yeah, he knew what he was doing and he didn't need my help. He didn't need my approval. He didn't need me looking over his shoulder, which I tried not to do because you know, I don't like people looking over my shoulder. One reason I come up you know, after hours to record my sermon is it's kind of awkward to speak into a camera when there's people walking by. It makes you pretty self-conscious. So I like to do it when nobody else is around because nobody likes people looking over their shoulder and I wasn't going to do it to this you know, plumber guy. And, um, but I had a few concerns as I was helping out, turning the water off and on. Uh, but you know what? They were unfounded. It's okay. He doesn't have to necessarily do things the way I would do them because I'm not a plumber. He is. He does his job the way he knows to do it. And one of the best things I can do is just sit back and let him do it. Trust him in his service. And trust God that things will work out. 
Uh, actually, he was very nice when he was done, and uh, he actually didn't feel like it should have taken him as long as it should have taken him, so he charged me far less than the hourly rate normally that a plumber would charge me in there for five hours. And, uh, yeah, it worked out just fine. Isn't it amazing? It works out just fine. Whenever you mind your own business, as I tell my kids, as Jesus tells us, when, Kobe, when you mind your own business, don't try to... Mind other people's business. Mind your own business. Yeah, it's your house, and I know you know you want it to work well, but take a chill pill, Colby. Let him do his job. And you know, after the fact, worry about tomorrow when he gets here. Don't borrow trouble. I needed that reminder myself even today. And Romans chapter 14, verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on another's servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We've all got a boss. Often we have bosses at our job, but even beyond that, we've all got a master. And I've got a master, and you've got a master, and that should remind us, as Paul is telling us, don't for one second think that they have to answer to you. They'll answer to God. Let God do his job. Let them do theirs. You focus on you. And even though my parents told me that all the time I was growing up, even though I tell my kids that now, I still need to hear it. Colby, you worry about you. And if you begin to look down on someone or think that they're not doing things good enough, if they're doing it for me, if they're trying their best, doing what they know what to do, even if it's not perfect, you leave them alone. They don't need your approval. They have mine. And I want to be able to stand before God and not worry about other people's approval. Just worry about his. God, stand here as your servant, not other people's. Now I'll love and serve others in your name and in your spirit. And because you've asked me to, but honestly, there's only one person I'll answer to. When it's all said and done. When I stand before him on that final day. And then it'll be him and him alone who gets to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your eternal reward.